Well, good morning. And uh, today we're going to be finishing up Lamentations, looking at chapters 4 and 5. And everybody said, Amen. <laughs> right? <laughs> Ready to get on to something else? Um, we're going to be looking at Acts pretty soon, so it'll be a much more jovial book. But in the meantime, we're going to finish Lamentations. So I'd encourage you to turn to chapters 4 and 5. Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed the Lamentations, even though it's a tough book. It's just tough. Uh, and more than that, I hope you've learned a little bit about what it means to just lament before the Lord with things that are um, going on in your life. To mourn, to complain to God about suffering we face in life, sometimes due to our own sin, sometimes due to other situations out of our control, but whatever it is, to bring it to the Lord. And, I, and it's just good that Lamentations makes it okay for us to cry out to God. It's okay. We need to hear that in our culture. It's okay to cry out to God whatever we're facing. Uh, God's inviting you to do that through this book. And so I hope you've taken some time over the last couple of weeks. I know I have to just lay on my face before the Lord um, and just lament, right? And so Lamentations also teaches us so vividly about the destruction that our own sin can lead us into. And unfortunately, we're going to see some more of that this week. Okay, So let's, let's uh, hang on and bear through that. And though Lamentations is this book of mourning and crying and complaining, as we said, it is laser-focused on God. That's what it wants to teach us. It teaches us that God is the proper place to direct all these thoughts when you're having them. When you're, when you're mourning, you're crying, you're, you're suffering and saying, Look to God and tell Him about them. That's where they need to go. And for no matter what we have done, what sin we've fallen into, what tragedy has befallen us, Lamentations centers on that truth in 3, 22 through 24 that says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And in response, we say, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And that's what we want to do as believers in Jesus, is hope in Christ for salvation, cleansing from sin and power to live out this life until he returns. And we are made perfect. But today we're going to jump back on that roller coaster of emotion and dip down into the pain of Jeremiah again. You know, several years ago, I did a wedding at, at Knott's Berry Farms in California. Anybody been there? All right. Woohoo! It's a great place. Part of the perk of the job was after the wedding, we all got free passes to the park. So uh, after the reception, me and my wife and, and all the guests ran out, changed our clothes in our car, and came back. And there, there weren't that many people there. It was on a random day of the week. And so we just started riding roller coaster after roller coaster after roller coaster, back to back to back. We rode all of them back to back, literally one line to the next. And we learned a few things when we did that. Number one, me and Amy got sick as a dog. Uh, we realized something's going on in my inner ear that just ain't what it used to be. And uh, we got really sick. In fact, we just laid in the car afterwards like, let's never do that again. We're, we're done with roller coasters. 
But secondly, I remember the ride on one of the wooden roller coasters, and I, and I forget the name. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's fun and mellow. You're going over these big hills and these nice sweeping curves. And I'm like, oh, this is this is great. And there's some mildly frighten, frightening moments. And then it mellowed out. I'm like, oh, this this must be over. I was very wrong. In fact, the most terrifying part of that roller coaster comes in the second half where I was just like gripped the whole time. And I think much of the time our, our experience of our own emotions can be like that roller coaster, climbing the high hills, dipping down into the valleys, and then suddenly coming into those unpredictable and terrifying moments. And in fact, Lamentations, I want you to see, if you've been reading Lamentations, sometimes it can just feel a little crazy, right? It's all over the place. And, and I think yet it's mirroring much of what we experience on that emotional roller coaster. We're sad, we're crying out to God, we're trusting in God. No, we're sad again. No, I don't know what's going to happen. We're all over the place. As we, and Jeremiah has been going through his A to Z of pain. Over the fall of Jerusalem, he's found hope in God, and yet in, in chapter 3, and yet chapters 4 and 5, he's back in the pain. And it doesn't mean that what he has said about hope is false, and, and when we're on that roller coaster, it doesn't mean that what we believe about God is false, but rather we, we experience that rise and fall as we believe and we hope, and many times we cry and we doubt, and yet that's how it goes. In fact, chapter 5 feels like just an, it's just an all-out desperation, crying out to God to do something, Lord. Look at all of this and do something. And so he laments again over Jerusalem and the disarray of the city, the roller coaster he's been on. And the book gives us hope that as we ride the same roller coaster in life, God is with us. Now, today is Mother's Day, and as we've said, it's a day to honor moms of all kinds and, and remember the moms that have left us. And we're thankful for moms, as we said. And maybe you're thinking, man, this is an unfortunate sermon to come on Mother's Day. <laughs> I was thinking about that all week. We're preaching on lamentations on Mother's Day, right? We're not talking about mommy dearest or something like that. Um, but as we begin to look at chapters 4 and 5, I, I want you to see a lot of what Jeremiah is doing in these chapters is he's lamenting the way things used to be, right, compared to the way they are now. And I think as we think about Mother's Day, this is especially good for us if you have lost your mom. Or if you have some kind of void or sadness for any reason on a day like Mother's Day. You need to know it's okay to lament to the Lord about the loss of your mom. Or your unfilled desires to be a mom. Remember the way things used to be and to cry out to God for the loss of those days. It's just a natural response to change. God is saying, I want to hear you. You know, one of the, I think uh, one of the most depressing memes, and I always talk about memes because I love them, but one of the de most depressing memes I think I've ever seen is a picture of a bunch of grubby neighborhood kids, and the caption of the picture said, you know, 
One day you and your neighborhood friends played together for the last time and didn't even realize it. I'm always like, oh, gosh, right? And we will lament those things in the way they used to be. And that's what Jeremiah is doing here. So if you miss mom today, Lamentation says it's okay and healthy to cry out to God and lament as you remember him. So let's jump in here and consider Jeremiah's lament of the way things used to be. And this comes primarily in the first part of chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. He's lamenting the good old days of Jerusalem. They're gone. 4-1. Her stately and holy stones are scattered. This is both, I think, talking about the buildings and and yet some of her people, right? 4.2, the sons of Zion worth their weight in gold are regarded as as a common pot to be broken. Where there were delicacies for people to eat, now they're starving. Where they wore fine clothing, now they're covering themselves in ash. Where the princes were healthy and clean and beautiful, now they're gangly and they're starved and their faces are covered in dirt and they look like those gnarled bodies we see in pictures of the Holocaust. 410, compassionate women, the good women, the ones that you would say, those are the ones I want to be like. Now they're boiling their own children for food. Jeremiah has used this gruesome imagery in almost every chapter of this book, and many think that his witnessing of that situation, he could not get out of his head. It just stuck with him. How can this be? And so Jeremiah cries out, Oh, God, it used to be so good, and now it's all gone. all swept away because of our continued rebellion against God. Have you lamented for days gone by? You know, just this week I was lamenting the loss of a few really good friends that are no longer with me. Or worse yet, have you lamented how even your sin maybe has has screwed up your life in certain ways and and you wish you could just go back and reclaim the days before you got into that. If I could just get that relationship back that I messed up. If I could just go back to the days before I was addicted. If I, if I could just go take back those words that I let fly that caused me all this trouble. Oh God, look and see, I want to be back in those days. Listen, if you know that your sin has destroyed a part of your life, then Jeremiah is showing us what it means to cry out to God and ask Him to fix it. And this is the invitation to God to us in the gospel through the, through the Old Testament and the prophets and the New. If you will return to the Lord, He will wipe away your sin. He promises to restore you. And so we cry out to him and lament for what once was. But the promise of God is what can be in our lives through Christ. And we're going to look on the dark side 
It gets worse. <laughs> Everybody's like, woohoo. Lamentations 4, 13 through 15 describes, this is just a sickening picture, right? Describes how the once holy priest of Israel, the very ministers of God himself, they, they once considered themselves to be holy and clean, are now unclean and can find no place to stay in in the land of Israel or any of the surrounding nations because now everybody sees them as an instrument of, of bad luck. They've become defiled and covered in blood, it says. I want you to see this. Lamentations 4.13 tells us, it was because of the sins of the prophets and the priests that Jerusalem was destroyed. They abused the righteous. If you read the book of Jeremiah, and, and I encourage you to do that, much of the book indicts Israel's leadership from turning from the Lord and leading the people astray. In fact, what God says in there is, I'm looking for shepherds after my own heart, not after theirs. And we, and we quickly and rightly make the jump to think about our own leadership in the day and in today's church, and we should. And it should give us reason to pause about who we follow. Are the pastors we're listening to, are they submitting themselves to the word and to God? Are they, are they living it out? Are they God's shepherds or are they out for their own ends? And if they're out for their own ends, then we need to run as far from them as possible. And Jeremiah is lamenting that the priests were once holy and glorious. They've become unclean and dirty. They've become in reality what was already present in their heart. And that's what sin does to us. It reveals in destructive ways what's already going on in our heart. And what a reversal of God's people. I want you to see this. The priests were meant to lead Israel. Get this. The, the priests were in a spot to lead Israel. God's people in a relationship to God and then that was meant to branch out to all the surrounding nations so Israel's priests would not only minister to Israel but then Israel as a nation would be priests that would minister to the whole world but the priests and the prophets and the nation have rebelled against God and now have no place in Israel in fact the nations don't even want them and this, I think, serves as a strong caution to us. Look at what 1 Peter says about believers in Jesus. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, I love this verse for many reasons, but I want you to see this. I want to focus on this aspect. Because of Jesus, if you're a believer in Jesus, because of what Christ has done in you and the indwelling of his spirit, God has called all believers in Jesus to act as priests in this world. He's making us all priests to declare to the world the gospel and to bring them in. And we hear this passage in Lamentations, and we point the picture at the spiritual leaders. And yet, in God's new covenant economy, we're all priests. 
This means we are called in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to make disciples to all the nations. We're called in 2 Corinthians 5 to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven to this world. And then all of us as Christians are to proclaim the gospel to all those that will listen, bringing the whole world in, in a gathering into worship of the one true God. And in Jeremiah's day, in a day of plenty, in a day of the good old days of Jerusalem, the priests failed in the midst of plenty. They turned their hearts from God to do what they wanted, and they forgot the mission. And now no one will turn to God as Jeremiah preaches to them. I think this calls us out, and it says, let us not be a people that rebel against God in our days of plenty. Let us not forget the mission, but rather press into what it means to be a righteous priest of God in this culture and in this city and go about the work of reconciling it to God. Listen, this city we live in is ripe for the harvest. It needs faithful priests who will teach the city what it means to follow God, and that's you. So we need an army of men and women that are living in the grace of the gospel of Christ found in the Gospels. Listen, if you're going to be a great witness for God, there's one thing you got to have happen in your life. You have to have experienced real-life transformation by the gospel yourself. And because God loves us, He invites us into a deep relationship with Him. He erases the sin that so easily entangles us. He forgives us. He wipes it clean. He fills us with the Spirit in your life. And you can begin to battle sin and walk in His ways. And God's grace is what gives us the freedom to walk in His ways. And then He calls you to say, teach others the same thing. So in the next two weeks, after we're done with Lamentations this week, we're going to look at what does it mean to be a Christian that is sharing the gospel? It's what God has called us to. That's part of what he's indicting the leaders of Israel for, that they got caught up in their own things and they could care less about the mission of God. So Jeremiah has been lamenting the good old days of Jerusalem. They're gone. And Judah is bearing the consequences of her sin day in and day out. She's crying out to God. And so this passage, again, it, it just focuses us on the disaster of our sin. And so we're going to look at that in, at the beginning of chapter 5 here. And again, I know, you're like, golly, can we, can we stop talking about sin? I got it. I know. Listen, yesterday I had to plunge the nastiest toilet in my house that you could ever imagine. One of my children decided to go to the bathroom and not tell us about it, and the toilet was clogged, and we didn't know about it for a couple days. You get the picture, okay? And it's not the first time I've had to do this. But listen, I, I don't do that because it's fun, right? It's not fun. It was disgusting. I almost barfed. But I sure like the end result, okay? 
And if we don't think about the sin that Jeremiah and its destruction is putting before us, we don't do it because it's fun, okay? These, listen, you think it's fun? You think it's hard to listen to these sermons? You ought to prepare them. <laughs> they're, they're brutal, okay? But this is the word of God to us in Lamentations, and he wants us to consider what our sin looks like when it goes to the very end. And the fruit of that consideration brings forth good fruit in our hearts. And so we sit under the authority of the word and believe that all of it is profitable for growing us in the Lord as a Christian, even these parts. And so we see in Lamentations 5 this graphic picture of destruction in Israel's sin that that was brought about by God's judgment. And listen, chapter 5 is interesting too because it's one of the, it's the only chapter in all of Lamentations that doesn't follow the acrostic pattern going A, B, C in the Hebrew alphabet. And it's as if, it's as if to say, as Jeremiah is saying, I'm finally undone. Everything is in a complete disarray, God. Judah has traded the blessing of God for their own way and reaped the consequences of their sin, and now they're just languishing in it. Listen, listen to what he says. Listen to all these things. In 5, 1 through 16, he says, we've lost our inheritance. We're like orphans and widows. We we have to pay for the water and the food that we need, and we have no money. We're weary. We're starving. Our women are being raped. Our princes, the, the strong ones, are being hung up. Young men can't find any work, and then it ends with this, and it's like, no kidding, there's no joy. How could there be? And again, we just think, dang, I mean, you got to do that again? I mean, sin's bad and all, but dang. And I think Satan and his minions want to constantly blind us to the deadly nature of sin, and so we don't want to look at it. Oh, it's... It's not that bad if I tell a little lie over here, right? No one will mind if I skim a little off the top here for myself. I deserve it. You know, I once heard this story of a guy that worked at a microprocessing computer plant, and there they work with gold, and there's gold dust that falls into the, the, the mats on the floor that the guys stand on. And so this guy thought, you know, I'll just take those mats and I'll shake them off over here and take that gold dust home. Well, over the course of 10 years or so, the guy sold millions of dollars worth of gold from the gold dust. Okay? We think, oh, man, it's it's fine if I look at that man or woman across the room and enjoy their beauty for a little while. I only yell at my kids sometimes when they're really bad. It, it's not really an emotional affair. I, I just text my coworker when my spouse upsets me. They give me good advice. Listen, I, I only use drugs and alcohol to relax. I, I'm in control of this. But all these little impulses of our heart that we want to, and, and they, they will carry us far and quickly away from the Lord until, like Jeremiah, we wake up sitting in the midst of our destruction and of our own making as we rebel against God. James 4.15 makes it clear. It says, Desire, the evil desires of our hearts, when they conceive, they give birth to sin. 
And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's another study, right? <laughs> Listen, the gospel starts with the first point that we are dead and dying in our sin. And Jeremiah is recording for us in graphic nature the death that we will die in our sin. But the gospel starts with this first point that we are dead and dying, that Jeremiah is recording, and then it says, but God. Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And yet Jeremiah shows us that the starting point of the gospel is to fall on his face before God and cry out in Lamentations 5.16, Woe to us, for we have sinned, Lord. And then here is the good news. Romans 6.23 doesn't end with death. And our life does not have to end with that either. But it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is saying your life doesn't have to end on the rubble heap caused by your sin. Rather, He can bring about new life in the midst of your death. Think about Jesus for one second. What's He picturing? Life in the midst of death. The free gifts of God. That you don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You come to Him as you are in the midst of your destruction and you're saying, I'm sorry, God, I couldn't do it. I messed up. Please help me. And it's as simple as a confession that He is Lord. So we are on our knees confessing our sin, placing our faith in Christ, and that sweet promise of 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you are sitting in the rubble heap, your life destroyed by the sin that you know you did, and Jeremiah says you cry out to God and you ask Him for forgiveness. There is hope. Jesus died to save the world from its self-destruction that we experience every day. And all it takes for us to cry out to the name of Christ and because of the blood of Christ, On the cross, our sins can be forgiven. And listen, sins of the past, sins that are happening right now, and sins you have yet to even commit, they were all put on the cross. Jesus paid for all of them. And this is the grace of God. You don't have to do anything to work your way to God to atone for those sins. Jesus did all of it. Even the ones you're going to commit, He's already paid for. You just have to accept it and begin to follow Him. Wiped clean, paid for on the cross, a forever clean slate before God the Father, and a promise of restoration of life and eternal life with Him forever. Romans 8, 1 and 2 gives this to us. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. 
It means if you are in Jesus, God holds, get this, nothing against you anymore, even when you continue to sin in the future and never will again because of what Jesus did. And as we stand in the righteousness of Christ through the power of His Spirit, the gospel teaches us to battle our sin at the level of desire and stop it before it ever gives birth to something that brings death. the good news of the gospel. I want to take a little detour here in Lamentations for a second because I think Jeremiah tells us something about everybody else's sin too. And this this is part of the book that is sometimes hard to deal with. And we can see this in a couple places. It's where Jeremiah is praying for judgment on other nations. Right? What are we to do with that? And, and, and it happens in 421 through 22. We see it Previously in 3, 46 through 66, and Lamentations 1, 21 through 22. At the end of chapter 1 and 3, Jeremiah wants the Lord to pour out his judgment on Israel's enemies that the Lord used to destroy Israel. And at the end of chapter 4, as we read this morning, he's warning those that dwell in Edom that their day is coming. Don't laugh too hard because your day is coming too, right? So we can look at these passages and say, Man, that can't be right. How how can Jeremiah pray that? Or if you look at the Psalms, I mean, they're loaded with David's prayers against his enemies. Fight for me, God. Destroy them. Bring judgment, justice. I think we can say three quick things about these prayers in in Lamentations. First, the heart of these prayers is for God to be just. Okay? Jeremiah knows that the nations that destroyed Israel... They did it in their own pride. That was They weren't connected with God other than God brought it about. They did it in, the, in their own heart of pride. No regard for God. No mercy towards Israel in horrible ways. And he's saying, you know what, God? You don't like sin, so I'm asking you that you judge their sin too. But God deals with the sins of the nations as he has dealt with his own people to bring about justice in their world. And I want you to see this. He's placing it with God. The heart of this is for God to be just. And it's like Romans 12, 19, where it says, Beloved, speaking to the brothers, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. This is all about placing justice in God's hands and taking it out of our own. In fact, I want you to see that praying for God to pour out justice on sin is the same as praying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I had a Christian friend one time that was demanding justice in a national sense or a social situation, saying, Delayed justice is no justice at all. And he was advocating for this quick social action. But you know what Lamentation says? It puts the burden of justice in the hands of God. It says, God, I want you to bring justice, but you do it in your time and your way. We must do that when we face great wrong. Even if it is delayed, God has promised to make a day of all making all wrongs right and to give all what is deserved. But that leads us to another sobering point on this. 
that these passages remind us that everyone will be judged by God for their sins. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And, and just because it happens to be Israel's day when God is disciplining them and they are destroyed, doesn't mean that God won't likewise judge the other nations for their sin. And he does do that. He comes against Assyria. He comes against Babylon. He destroys Edom. He destroys Moab. And the list goes on. Everyone faces the judgment of God for their sin. And we will too. And finally, we have to hold these passages in tension with the Bible, for, for the Bible's prescriptions to pray for our enemies and to care for them. And, and how do we do that? I think Psalm 35 is one of the best passages of this. At the beginning, David's praying for, for judgment to come against his enemies, and yet in the second half, he's praying that they get well from being sick. And this is the tension we keep. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 44, Love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we as Christ's ambassadors on earth, His priests, before judgment, we, we pray for God to pour out His justice and His judgment, but we also pray for God's love and grace and urge people with the love of God towards repentance before that justice has to come. As we know, it is the love of God that leads us to repentance. But ultimately, God will be just. And we want that to happen. We want His kingdom done on earth as it is in heaven. And now let's look at the end of Lamentations. Lamentations ends in the most fascinating way, and maybe you've picked up on that as you've read it or as we've read it. Chapter 5 conveys this feeling of disarray that Jerusalem is in, as, as we've said, this mental feeling of just complete and utter disarray. I mean, this is an all-out, you know, this is one of those ugly cries before the Lord, okay, about Jerusalem's situation. Everything is messed up. And Jeremiah is just crying out, saying, God, you've got to do something. And the last few verses of Lamentations 5, 19 through 22 really brings so much of the book together. Jeremiah has been mourning what used to be. He's lamenting the atrocities that surround him. He, he, he wants God to come back. And yet I want you again to see that even in the midst of this, again, he is placing all of this in God's hands. He's focusing on the Lord saying, this is what it is. I know you're one that can do something about this. Now do something. And if we learn anything from this series, it's that despite whatever we face, God is still God. He is there. He cares for His people, and you can hope in Him. We come to this in Lamentations 5, 19-22. Jeremiah confesses God's sovereignty and might. He laments their current situation. He looks to God to save them from their sin and restore them. And then finally it ends on this this note of humanity. I don't know if you're going to do it, God. Listen to what it says again. But you, O Lord, you reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Yet why do you forget us forever? 
Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. This last note of Lamentations encapsulates, I want you to see so much of our walk and experience with God. Do you hear that emotional roller coaster? Do you hear that struggle of faith? I believe you, God, and I, I don't know if I believe you. Lord, here's the stuff. We, we know you're God and you reign forever, yet, and you sit enthroned over everything in my life, and yet I feel so destroyed and abandoned. Where are you? Yet, God, I, I don't know who to look to. Restore us, God. Save us. Where else would I go? We want it like the good old days. I hope you haven't given up on us. You can think of David praying those prayers. He's saying, I, I can't lead the procession right now, but one day I will, maybe. And Jeremiah here so aptly puts into words our spiritual struggle that I think, if we're honest, we all face. And Lamentations is telling you that up and down of emotion, that up and down of faith, guess what? It is okay. Just keep it all focused on him in the meantime. As the whole book of doom. It's like the guy in Mark 9, 22 through 24, where he's begging Jesus to heal his son from the, the demon possession that he has. He said, if, if you're able, Lord, and Jesus is like, if I'm able, all things are possible for the one who believes. And then the father cries out and says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. So many times we know the right answer. We know God is good. We know he wants to hear from us. We know that we are forgiven and cleansed from our sins in Christ. We know that he can defeat sin in our life that is entangling us. And yet our experience at the end of the day is still some uncertainty that God will actually come through. fundamental wrestle in our mind is God good will he do what he says he will and yet I want you to see that the cross the coming of Jesus on the cross says that he is that in the midst of our sin all the prophecies came true in Christ that God came in love and he died on our behalf so we could be restored to him. This week in my own life, I had some tremendous doubts about God's own goodness towards me. And I was down in my hope in him, I would say. And a friend looked at me and said, you know what, that's just a lie. <laughs> and I think that's right. So I think this passage teaches us, even when it feels hopeless. You know, Kevin always Kevin always hates this. Kevin will say, you know, there's good things, there's going to be this, that, and the other. And I always say, I hope so. <laughs> and I think this is the attitude that Jeremiah is getting at. I hope it's true, Lord. 
I hope you're not just mean and angry. But the cross says he's not. In the case of Israel, as they sat in exile in Babylon and they cried out to the Lord wondering, is he good? Will he leave us like this forever? Guys like Daniel were confessing their sins of the country. Men like Ezra sought the Lord and to know him in his scriptures, to teach the community what it means to follow the Lord, to continue to pray. And 70 years later, God came through. And God brought Israel back to the land and to Jerusalem. And the temple was rebuilt. And he was their God again. And in the midst of that, he was preparing the way for his best plan yet. For them to be the people that would receive him as Christ. So we can look at that and say, God will be faithful. God is good even when we're not sure. And he will be faithful in your life. If you're having trouble seeing the way forward, if you believe, if you believe but feel unbelief creeping in, then keep crying out to the only God that can put disorder into order and taste and see that He is really good. I want to have everyone stand here as we come to the end of Lamentations. Lamentations is about mourning. We mourn because of the suffering we face in life, many times because of our sin, but it has showed us to bring it all before God. That in Christ we can call out to God for mercy and find it. Lamentations mourns what once was and yet it looks forward to God's restoration. It presents the real struggle of daily faith. Will God do what he said he would? Or is he that mean old God? But the book drives us to hope in the Lord. So whatever you are suffering, whatever you are facing, whatever sin you are stuck in, let me ask you to deal with the Lord now and find hope in Him. And we do this by remembering this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And our confession is, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope.